Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. Are safe injection sites morally permissible? This question is being asked by a growing number of people here in the United States and around the world. Today's guests, Dr. Jeffrey Berger and Mr. Steve Boza, offer perspectives on this question, drawing from the article they co-wrote for the Lineker Quarterly titled, Safe Injection Sites, A Moral Reflection. In this podcast, our guests begin by identifying what a safe injection site is and the arguments proponents use to justify them. Dr. Berger then speaks to the nature of opioid addiction and discusses whether safe injection sites help or hinder addicts in efforts at recovery. Following this, Mr. Boza evaluates safe injection sites from an ethical perspective, focusing on the maxim, do good and avoid evil, as well as the Catholic social teaching principles of justice and the common good. Both guests then discuss whether those who support safe injection sites, as well as those who work in them, are cooperating with evil. Hello, Jeff and Steve. Welcome to our podcast today. Hello. Thank you. I'd like to start off, as I do every podcast, by asking you guys to tell us a bit about your background, um, specifically your education and the work you're doing. So, Jeff, could we start with you? Joe, I am a physician, a medical physician. Um, I have a board in internal medicine and addiction medicine, and I've been practicing primarily addiction medicine for about 35 years, over 35 years. Uh, currently, I am the medical director at Guest Health, which is a later-on organization that treats Catholic clergy and religious who have addiction problems. I'm uh, a professor of bioethics and moral theology at Catholic Distance University. And uh, my educational background is uh, as an MA uh, at, uh, in, in moral theology at um, St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in Philadelphia. And my PhD work is in bioethics at the Pontifical Athenaeum Regina Apostolorum in uh, Rome, Italy. And I'm all but dissertation in, in that process. Excellent. Steve, what's your, uh, what's your present job? Right now, I, besides uh, teaching at uh, Catholic Distance University, I am also uh, the director of the Office for Life and Family in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. So today we're going to be talking about the morality of safe injection sites. And I'd like to start off with a, a very basic question. What is a safe injection site and why are they in the news today? I'll handle the first part of that. The safe injection site is a place where a person who injects uh, illicit drugs can do so without fear of being apprehended by police and in an environment uh, which is cleaner and uh, than the street could be. And, and they're in the news today, in particular in this area, um, there is a proposal to uh, establish one in the Kensington area of Philadelphia. And um, it's, it's making a lot of news, and there are a lot of people uh, not in favor of that, especially the people of the uh, area of Kensington, the neighbor, that neighborhood, do, do not want it. And the, the mayor and a few others are pushing for this as an uh, alternative to um, some other adverse effects such as overdose and, and communicable diseases and that sort of thing. So, Steve, that while they're, you know, you're specifically talking about the Philadelphia area, I just want to be clear that this is not a, a, a question that's simply facing Philadelphia, but it's a question that's facing cities across our country and really around the world. Yeah, absolutely. The Philadelphia uh, site, if it happens, would be the first and only at this point uh, in, in the U.S. Uh, they do have sites in Vancouver, sites in a few uh, um EU nations, and they also have uh, a few in Australia. The next question is one you can probably both chime in on. What are the arguments, either moral or otherwise, that are offered in favor of safe injection sites? 
Well, I think one of the major medical arguments flows from a philosophy called harm reduction, in which it's assumed that the, if you can't eliminate the problem, one would do what one could to reduce the harm resulting from the disease. So in this sense, we're looking at reducing harms that flow from the disease, such as HIV, hepatitis C, drug overdose, uh, being the primary um, harm. At, at reducing these harms, which then reduces the burden, monetary burden on the healthcare system. Uh, so those are the, would be the medical reasons that would, would are most often, I think, proposed um, to justify the establishment of a safe injection site. I don't think there are really any um, compelling moral issues, um, but the arguments used in favor it is the understanding of compassion and the understanding of, of human dignity. Uh, persons who um, choose to accept the idea of a safe injection site from a moral standpoint look at compassion uh, as a way of um, showing uh, compassion uh, to the to the person that um, is suffering from addiction or as a matter of upholding their dignity and when you when you really examine the facts uh, in both of those instances they're wrong and we're going to come back to that question particularly the human dignity question I think a little bit later on in this podcast but um, moving on it and we get this question actually at the NCBC quite a bit and, and stepping out stepping outside of our, our conversation about safe injection sites for a second, but just, just for clarity's sake, what does the church teach? What does the Catholic church teach about drug use? Well, the catechism is very clear, uh, paragraph 2291, where it speaks to the issue of the use, the illicit use of drugs mm -hmm. is, um, is a grave moral evil. And they, in terms of addiction, um, I, the, they don't really go go there in terms of, um, you know, why, you know, is addiction to anything a uh, an intrinsic evil, to, so to speak? Um, the problem with that is, is that why is the person becoming addicted in the first place? Is, are they addicted through... Um, just the way the nature of medicine is and they're on opioids or what have you and they wind up getting addicted to it, well, then that certainly doesn't put the um, grave evil um, tag on that addiction. Um, but when it comes to use of recre recreational drugs where the, 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 the knowledge of what this can do to you is is fully known and and for whatever the reason is they choose to partake in it and now it's a whole different story uh so the drug the the illicit drug use is where the church would say that is a grave moral evil um but the addiction itself has a lot of circumstance to it and so the so the uh, culpability would go to what preceded the actual addiction that's actually a, a nice segue into the next question. I guess th this one's really more for you, Jeff, from, from a medical perspective. Can you speak to what addiction actually is and also talk about the methods you use, being a physician, the methods you use to treat it? Addiction is, is clearly understood. I mean, there's, there's many good ways to define it. Um, it is much harder to uh, elucidate the exact mechanisms involved in contracting it. Um, perhaps just a simple clinical uh, anecdote might help here. I, I was talking with a young man who came into treatment for opiate addiction uh, in a local secular inst treatment center. And when I talked to him about his reason for being there, he talked to me about having gone to the dentist at the age of 15 for wisdom tooth extraction. When he got the medicine from the dentist, which was an opioid, um, he took it and the pain went away. But then he said, but something else happened. I felt for the first time in my life as if everything was going right for me, as if my life were finally normal. And that, that uh, 
quality of uh, euphoria, uh, which may or may not also be in, in its relationship to establishing uh, a disease process whereby one discards all one's previous values and concentrates on repeated efforts to use the drug. Uh, that's not real clear to us right now. As, as a physician, when you, when you have somebody who has addiction and you can define the behavioral characteristics uh, of addiction and someone has enough of those behaviors that, that you would say that they are indeed addicted, whether it be to a substance or to a process, then the, uh, the treatment methods are available um, have nowhere near the uh, vast scientific predictability of, for example, whether you take aspirin for heart attack when you're prophylaxis when you're between the ages of 51 and 59. So the, the field is suffering from a lack of uh, rigorous scientific evidence that um, encompasses uh, a variety of circumstances and populations. And so we're, we're really, uh, in a lot of ways, dealing with anecdotal experience or traditional methods of treatment. Um, a good example of that is the use of buprenorphine for the treatment of opioid addiction. Buprenorphine is, is itself an opioid and was brought out in 2001 uh, by what was then Rickett Benkeiser to, um, as a treatment for opioid addiction, similar to methadone, except that instead of being dispensed in the clinic, it would be dispensed in an office. And the trials that established buprenorphine as a treatment for uh, opioid addiction in populations who are only addicted to opioids. And that's simply not the case in the real world today. Um, probably 95% of people who come in for treatment for opioid addiction are also using marijuana or alcohol or Xanax or some other drug in, in addiction with it. And we really don't have a good scientific base that says that this is the best treatment uh, for, these, for opioid addiction under these circumstances when mixed with other, other drugs. We also don't since the long-term history of, of opioid addiction extends over 20 to 30 years, and this crisis is probably only about uh, 15 years in full swing, we really don't have, and, and buprenorphine has only been up for 16 or 17 years, we really don't have uh, good data on, on whether it's really altering the, the course of the disease or not. Um, so those are some of the challenges that come when we treat uh, addiction. Um, there are certainly um, questions involved in my mind about whether we use drugs which simply substitute for heroin or any other oxycodone or hydrocodone or any of the other opioids, or whether we're using treatments that help people establish a disease-free state um, and freedom from having to use substances anymore. So it sounds in a, in a very, and I'm a layman on this, very much a layman on this, it, it, it almost sounds as if, and, and, and pardon, my, you know, pardon my, my terminology, it almost sounds as if it's sort of a trial and error a lot of times with, um, with treating addiction in terms of what will work or what, not, what won't work. Is that the case? Um, to some extent, it's, it's uh, a matter of, I think the field would not so much be trial and error, but repeated exposure and repeated attempts. Um, cigarette smoking is, is a good example of that. Um, probably only about 15 to 20% of people who try to quit smoking on their own will actually be smoke-free at the end of a year uh, if this is their first attempt. However, by the time someone is on their seventh attempt at quitting smoking, the odds of reaching near smoke-free are about 90%. So there's something in the process of repeating repeated efforts to win freedom that uh, allows the, the process to succeed. So then, so based on that information and based on your experience as a physician, do you believe safe injection sites can be helpful in the treatment of drug addiction? Well, uh, can be helpful is a very broad statement. <laughs> if it were a matter of allocating resources, um, I have some concerns about about uh, safe injection sites. If, if we're really talking about treating addiction, then I would say it's unlikely that a safe injection site is going to be a fruitful place to allocate resources. If we're talking about trying to reduce monies that will go towards treating hepatitis C or HIV, um, 
then they are police uh, having police lock people up and go through all the expense of that then um then one can make a case for safe injection sites but again we're not treating the disease there we're only trying to reduce harm all right so in your uh linux or quarterly article uh you both you mentioned that the you mentioned or you talked about the spiritual nature of addiction what is this and how does the spiritual affect recovery from addiction? Uh, my experience has been that uh, Saint uh, Cyprian had an interesting go at that. He said, "Anything that you prefer to God becomes your God." Uh, in addiction, what happens is that people prefer. Uh, we'll talk in this in this instance about substances. They'll prefer use of a substance to anything else in life, and it's in a certain sense, the substance then becomes uh, a God in the sense that. Uh, St. Cyprian would be talking about it. And we hear that continually. Um, it's in the AA literature itself about the spiritual poverty that results from becoming an alcoholic or becoming a drug addict. And it is only in recovering a, a sense of God's uh, place in your life, a relationship with God and relying on his strength uh, to um, bring you out of addiction that that traditionally within the 12-step model um, brings one freedom from addiction. So in that in that sense, the uh, AA will, for example, say that um, their disease is primarily a spiritual disease, and once the spirituality is reestablished in, a, in an honest uh, and genuine uh, relationship with God, then the physical and mental suffering and, and the illnesses that flow from the addiction will straighten themselves out. So you didn't like this question the last time I asked it, but I'm going to ask it again. Can a safe injection site address this spiritual component? I have not seen any safe injection sites which address the spiritual component. Steve, in your readings or lookings, have you found anything about that? No, I haven't, to be honest with you. Um, in the city of Philadelphia, I can't speak for the other jurisdictions, but in Philadelphia, you know, um, they don't want to know anything or uh, regarding uh, spirituality or faith. And there's a lot of things, other things outside of this that will prove it. For instance, where they've prohibited the um, church or faith-based institutions to uh, that disagree with same-sex uh, adoptions, they refuse to license uh, us as an adoption agency, which we've taken the court. So the, 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 in, in the city of Philadelphia, you know, they don't want to hear anything about spirituality. So that would be nearly impossible to do here. All right, well, let's move to some of the, some of the, uh, the ethical concerns or ethical questions. So Steve, this one's probably for you. Evaluate safe injection sites in terms of the first principle of practical reasoning, which is do good and avoid evil? Yes, uh, that's a very good point. Um, and if we look at the principles of principalism, uh, the first two of those principles are beneficence and non-maleficence, which really say the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so if we look at it from the secular vantage point and also from the natural law vantage point, the doing good that they hope to accomplish is the relief of suffering the, and, and, uh, and, and possible death. Um, but they failed to look at the predicate because it's the predicate that determines the goodness of the act and not the um, intentions. So what's the predicate? The predicate here that's gravely evil is the injection of, of drugs that are mind altering and can do harm even by their own definition. And so uh, you're not doing good, even though they, they talk about uh, reducing risk and harm reduction as something good, which it is, uh, it's not the predicate. The predicate is the actual ingestion of, of the drug itself, which is a grave moral evil. Um, and if we're looking at um, the principle of non-maleficence or uh, not to do to do evil, well, then you are, in fact, doing evil uh, by by allowing someone to be injected 
but with a drug that's going to physically harm them. And then I guess that goes back to the whole issue of human dignity. Are you upholding a person's dignity by injecting something harmful into their body? Well, no, you're not. Um, are you doing good by injecting something harmful into a person's body? No, you're not. So from if, if we're, if we're going to only look at, you know, the um, intended good effects to it, we're not dealing with the predicate. And that's, and that's the big problem. So with that being said, how would you respond to, there are those who will, will challenge what you, what you say, and they'll say that actually upholding, that the safe injection sites uphold human dignity because they offer a safe, non-judgmental, or even a welcoming, so to speak, place for addicts. So you would, based on what you said, you would obviously counter that. Would you reject that argument? Yes, I would. I would because it's never doing good to poison a person. And so let's let's look at it from another perspective. Do you think, or does do these proponents say it's okay to put into um, a person's body uh, something that's going to actually harm them in in any other way for any other pathology? Well, no, they wouldn't do that. Now, somebody's going to come back to me and say, well, they put radiation in people or chemotherapy, which is doing harm to to deal with the with the um, with the with the cancer, but the bottom line is is that the cancer needs to be addressed, and so when we're looking at basic natural uh, natural law principles. The principle of double effect uh, will tell us that the intended good effect is the removal of the cancer, and it's not the removal. Uh, it's not the just injecting the um, the radiation or the or the chemotherapy for the sake of injecting the chemotherapy. You know now pro- proportionalists will say don't have any regard for principle of double effect. And they say, well, that's all wrong anyway. But that's another issue for another podcast. But the point of the matter is, is you can't do good or do evil so good can come from it. You just can't do that. Um, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Because ultimately the bottom line is, is that statistics show that less than 1% of people who take advantage of of the um, safe injection sites will go on to therapy. So you're not talking about a very good track record here. Um, and and so are we going to continue to inject their body with poisons uh, for the sake of compassion? Well, that's not very compassionate as far as I'm concerned. This next question may be related to one that I asked a bit earlier, but uh, in the Lineker Quarterly article, you argue that safe injection sites do not offer addicts a reasonable hope of benefit. What do you mean by this? I think it follows up on what Steve was talking about. Um, If I were an addict um, and my family were suffering, I was risking overdose, using up resources, stealing from people uh, to get money to buy drugs, putting myself in physical danger, buying drugs, None of that is eliminated by the use of a safe injection site um, it, because the disease itself, the disease of addiction, which has caused uh, a restructuring of values um, within the person, none of that is being treated. None of that is being addressed. And in fact, what is what happens is that when we facilitate or make it easy for an addict to use, in a certain sense, you lose any a portion of the motivation that it would take for someone to leave behind an addiction. It is, it is to a large extent, uh, traditionally true in my field that um, is part of the, the darkness of, of the life of addiction, the getting tired of running the streets, of um, the danger that you're in, of the squalor that you find yourself in, the continual poverty, it's a desire to escape those things that will motivate one to leave addiction, to begin to make it nice for a person to use, um, in, in a certain sense, encourages a person to stay uh, mired in a disease, which is ultimately going to rob them of, of, uh, of any choice in, in the direction that their life is going. In that sense, I think 
that the safe injection sites don't really offer benefit to the addict. They, again, might offer some financial benefits to society. Um, those would probably be undisputed. Uh, there may be some short-term benefits in, in terms of um, relief at being in the squalor, but if it's the squalor that is leading someone to make a change, then is that really a good thing to be doing? I also want to want to point out that the proportionalist who would who would um, agree to this type of facility would has made a history and practice out of using changing the words reasonable hope of benefit to reasonable hope of recovery. Now they do that so that they can get around certain prohibitions in terms of nutritional hydration and that sort of thing. Um, this doesn't even pass that test because if they were going to be true to their own ideology um, and use the term reasonable hope of recovery, well, statistics show that there is no reasonable hope of recovery here. Um, it, it doesn't work. So any way you slice it, the uh, it's it's not going to um, it, it's it's not going to be conducive to the true good of the patient, and we have to also talk about this too. There's a true good, and then there's an apparent good. I mean, Germain Gazet goes uh, on and on about what a true good is and what is a, an apparent good. Um, you know, his definition of a true good is one that allows for a person to be and be more and opens up potentialities. An apparent good does not do that. So it doesn't even pass the test that Gerzay would present uh, because there is no true good in a safe injection site. There is none. Because there's all the potentialities that this person has to be who he was meant or she was meant to be is gone simply because of a misguided understanding of compassion. I'd like to um, ask you to comment on two controversial, I would maybe controversial statements that you made in the, in the Lineker um, article. The first one is this quote, safe injection sites by their very by the very nature of their design, encourage the primacy of drug use, unquote. And then a little later on in the essay, you state, quote, the very concept of a safe injection site is to support the continued use of drugs, unquote. Well, I'll start out addressing that. Um, what I, is intended in, in talks about the primacy of drug, of drug use is, is referred to the value system that the user holds. Um, the users, the user holds as the primary value in their life, procuring, administrating, and then um, having the effect of a drug and then recovering from the effect of the drug. And, and that becomes the, primus, the primary value in an addict's life. Um, all other values fall to the wayside. Your job, your family, um, relationship with God, um, any other normative human values would, would fall to the side. And in providing a place, a clean, sterile place for a user to use drugs, um, one is facilitating that, um, that primacy that feeds into the helping the user use uh, with as little effort as possible. And that's what every drug user is looking for. So it's not really, you can have someone there talking about um, treatment or detox. And as Steve said, the, the figures that I have seen are less than 7% uh, actually engage in any kind of uh, treatment uh, or refer even accept a referral elsewhere. Um, it speaks to the fact that these, these centers are primarily set up so that people can continue to use drugs, which means they're continuing to reinforce the 
the apparent value system that exists within the mind of the drug user. If I could just add to that, the, you know, the uh, primacy of job use or the, or the, or the statements there were, were based on, um, again, the idea of autonomy. And if we go back to uh, um, principalism, you know, autonomy is one of the four. And where they got that basically from all the Enlightenment teach, uh, philosophers, from Kant, from others, that would say that autonomy is pretty much what makes a, a person human. And, you know, anytime you diminish autonomy, um, you're acting in the area of immorality. And so this isn't just a Catholic thing. You know, this, this, is, this is an enlightenment thing. Um, the, the person addicted to drugs doesn't necessarily have autonomy or the freedom that, it, that, uh, that makes it possible. There's no freedom. Um, and so when you're looking at it from that perspective, what we're saying here is that we're violating the very premises that uh, the secular culture would say is, is the proper thing. You know, the, the diminished autonomy that this brings. And so why is the government or any municipality or what have you facilitating this diminishment of a person's autonomy and freedom? Let me expand on that for a minute, if I can. Um, there was an article that was published in 1985, back when I was a young man, um, about the about cocaine uh, dependency, and it was it was during the time when the, the uh, our profession was struggling with the, the to de, to develop a, a concept of what the disease actually was, and up until that time. Um, addiction had been characterized primarily in, in the sense of that you've developed a tolerance to a substance and then you have, uh, when you try to stop using, you have withdrawal and so with a negative reinforcement of the withdrawal that leads back to uh, continued use and that you can't escape the cycle until you're successfully withdrawn. And that works well for drugs like sedative drugs, including alcohol or opioids. But in the 1980s was the beginning of the crack cocaine epidemic. And there's not much of a withdrawal syndrome associated with crack cocaine. Um, so by the old definitions of addiction, cocaine was not really classified as an addicting drug. Um, so the article that came out in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 1985 by Bozarth and Wise uh, did a very simple experiment. They took laboratory animals, rats, and allowed them uh, to learn how to use uh, cocaine in Cocaine and the animals, uh, interestingly enough, had no trouble learning how to use cocaine <laughs> and administer it. Then they then they looked at the animals over a period of thirty days, and in a thirty day period of time, uh, over eighty five percent of the animals died, just simply as a result of using cocaine. They pursued the use of cocaine, neglecting sleep food, nutrition, exercise, anything else, um, they would neglect and, and then died as a result of uh, malnutrition and exhaustion at the end, after a certain period of time. Um, some might say that it wasn't quite the most powerful drive to be tested, so they later did uh, testing with baboons and exposed them to uh, female baboons in estrus, or they could have make a second choice, which would be to continue using cocaine, and the female baboons and estrus were completely ignored in favor of continued use of cocaine. So we're looking at um, something being manipulated in the brains of not only primates and lower order primates, but also the common structures that we also as human beings possess that drive a person towards destruction when the drugs take a hold in an, in an addictive fashion in the brain. And that completely undermines uh, autonomy. It, it robs a person of any reasonable uh, chance to think their own way out of uh, a bad situation. Steve. Yes. What, ju what justice and common good issues arise with safe injection sites? Well, let's start with the common good. And the second element 
Well, actually, the first element speaks presupposes the respect for the human person. Okay, and one of the statements from the Catechism, which I'll read. Society should permit each of the individuals to fulfill his vocation. All right. His, a, a person doesn't have a vocation to um, the use of drugs. They, they just don't. Um, let's look at the second element. Um, the authority, the proper function of the authority is to arbitrate between various particular interests. Okay. And then it makes accessible the things that, you know, and that sort of stuff. But so what are the what are the, um, the 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 competing interests? Well, in in terms of the of the of the municipal uh, municipality, uh, at least I could say in Philadelphia, uh, the authority is not arbitrating uh, between various in, uh, interests, not not in the least. Um, they're putting the Compassionate desire to help harm reduction for the um, for the person addicted to drugs, and pitting them against the well the wishes of the of the community. So we have we have a an a, 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 a rupture in the role of the uh, the proper role of the authority based on the common good. Um, and and so what we're what we're looking at is. Does, is the authority allowing uh, this person to lead a truly good, hum, a truly human life, which is from the catechism, uh, food, clothing, health, work, education, culture, suitable information, establishment of the family or whatnot? You don't find in here drug use. It's nowhere to be found. And so, so the, you can't use common, common good arguments for um, the um, use of safe injection sites. You can't. And so look at the third element, um, security of society and its members. Well, contrary to what you, you hear, um, the crime rates go up um, in, in those areas. I mean, it, it, I, I remember Jeff speaking one time in an interview to the Catholic standard, I mean, the, the Catholic Philly, where he, where he talks about people going who wind up um, overdosing anyway at a safe injection site. So now everybody who's addicted wants that kind of, uh, of drug because of its effects. And now it, the neighborhood becomes even more drug infested. All right. So, so you can't go there, you know, with the common good. Now, what about justice? Justice means that um, you give to a person what is due them. That's the, that's the classical just, uh, the definition of justice. Well, what is due the person addicted to drugs? Good health, recovery, anything that we can do to help uh, get, get a person off of dependency of drugs. Justice is not reducing their harm for doing something that they shouldn't be doing in the first place. You know, now obviously we have to look at what happens to a person who's addicted to opioids because of, you know, innocent reasons. All right. Well, bottom line is it's the same principle. You know, how do we help this person get off of that dependency and not giving them more opioids so that they could wind up killing themselves? There's, there's no, there's no, all, all these arguments, as far as I'm concerned, from the vantage point of, of, of morality, all these arguments are like, I, 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 I can't even put a word to it. They're, they're so convoluted that it makes no logical sense. What about justice for the people um, in the areas, you know, the neighbors of those who are going to be um, near the safe injection sites? What justice issues arise with them? Well, do they um, or, or should they be uh, subjected to, you know, dirty needles everywhere, even though they're supposed to be 
um, in in the in the safe uh, injecting safely uh, in this facility. What about those people who are not going to the facility but yet are still going there? Um, in and to to get some of the residual effects. What about the drug dealers? What about all these other things that happen with you with with the advent of 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 crime or at least at least a drug infestation of a, of a specific neighborhood? What, what about these kids? What about what about the schools? What about the living conditions? Who's to say? I mean, it's a crazy world out there. I mean, we've had instances over and over again these last couple of months, especially here, even here in a city where this one individual shot a couple of cops right now near Temple University. It was a big to do. That had everything to do with drugs. Are, are we naive enough to think that just because we have a, a sanctioned uh, place to shoot up that none of this other activity is going to happen? Well, it's foolishness. On what level are those who support safe injection sites cooperating with evil? Well, I'm sure our audience has a, a good handle on as to what um, cooperation and evil is and, and pretty, pretty much the delineation of it all. But if we're looking at the first delineation, which would be formal versus uh, material, uh, material cooperation. In order for us, just to recap, to formally cooperate in the evil act of another, we have to intend that evil act to happen. Okay. Government officials intend the evil act to happen. The persons working in the facility to swab the arm with alcohol or to provide the clean needles, they're intending the act to happen. Therefore, they are formal cooperation cooperators and they are uh, guilty of a gravely evil act. Now, what about the material cooperators? Jeff and I have talked about in our article that there are people who are um, immediate material cooperators, i.e. those persons who um, make sure that the supplies are, are provided, uh, making sure that the appointments are made, making sure that everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. They may go in there with the idea, oh, I wish this wasn't happening. But without their specific intervention, that act would not be able to occur. And therefore, they're guilty of, mater of immediate material cooperators, which means that they're guilty. Okay, so yeah, so so we have some we have some some spiritual and moral issues going on here with the people who are doing these things. Let me ask you a question. If so, if one was working in one of these safe injection sites, and they may not be, you know, their intention may not be to help or otherwise facilitate one taking drugs, but they were there with the intention of encouraging the patrons, so to speak, to enter a treatment program. And I know you already said before that those numbers are very low and, and the, you know, the success rates uh, of getting people off of, or overcoming addiction in these cases is very low. But if one who works in one of these centers, if, if that's their motivation, that's their intention, is their cooperation mitigated? Yes, because as we, as we say in the article, those types of therapists or social workers are not there to, you know, provide any assistance in the injection of the immoral or illicit drug. They're there simply to counsel the people to, in fact, get the help that they need or to facilitate them getting the help that they need. Um, that's um, an honorable thing. That's an act of goodwill, and they would not have a moral culpability just because they happen to be in that site does not mean that they're guilty of it. Um, they're there to do a good thing. But Jeff, would you agree to that? Yes. It's a lonely job, though, to go be working in a place like a safe injection site, um, trying to counsel people to get help in the whole 
milieu is set up to facilitate using it. it, it I, I can't imagine being very satisfied at that job for a very long period of time. My question is that, is it even possible to have a situation where someone is working at a safe injection site where his or her job is simply to help move people towards treatment? It would, I mean, is that even possible? I mean, or Steve or Jeff, in any of the research you've done with these safe injection sites in other cities or, in, you know, either in the U.S. or, um, or proposals in the U.S. or these safe injection sites overseas, that's a good question. From my reading of, of what I've seen uh, with the safe injection sites that are functioning, it's it's not clear to me whether that's a 10% job that belongs to someone and 90% of their job is occupied elsewhere or whether that's actually a full-time job. That's not clear. I, I have no no knowledge of anything like that. Last question for both of you. How does the Catholic Church address safe injection sites? It's just like anything else. I don't, this is a fairly new phenomenon. I could tell you that um, I don't think that there's anything formal that the church has declared in, in regard to this. I do know that there was an episode in Australia where there was, a, there was an order of religious women who wanted to cooperate in this. And I don't have all my facts uh, handy in front of me, but I can tell you that the archbishop was not happy about it and um, wrote them a, a letter uh, stating so. They uh, removed their, um, you know, their support of this facility. Um, so I think the church at as it stands now, is reacting to what has happened. And that's not, you know, a bad thing, and that's not a unusual thing. It, you know, when, when you have um, situations like this that come up, it takes a while for the church to really declare something definitively. Um, for instance, we're probably 30 or 40 years post um first test tube baby, uh, you know, that happened in 78. Well, you know, Dona Vitae didn't come out until the 80s. I think it was 87 to address that. Um, and they still, they've come, they've been very definitive about that. And that, and that whole scenario is unfolding because of the residuals that are happening from it. Okay, embryo adoption, cryopreservation, all that kind of stuff. And so the, the, the church's response unfolds as time goes on. This idea of safe injection sites is, is relatively new, um, and nothing has really been definitively stated on a universal level. But the bishops of Australia, or the particular bishop of Australia, made a statement that I'm sure is recognized by the other dioceses around the world and the apostolic see. So, you know, we'll see what happens down the road. But one thing we can say is that the recreational use of illicit drugs is a great moral evil that's already stated. Um, the cooperation and evil that we just were talking about, that was already stated. Some of these other things that we've talked about during this podcast have already been stated. Now it's just a matter of putting everything together. And who knows, down the road, you know, there may be something much more definitive on a universal level. Yeah, I've been reflecting. Um, there's a, a current article out in a publication called Box, B-O-X, having to do with the tragedy of a family who lost a loved son to uh, drug overdose. And uh, it, it is, I think it accurately portrays the anguish that, that goes with having a child who becomes addicted to drugs and seeing the downhill spiral and then finally dealing with the death of the child. Um, I, I can understand um, those who view such suffering and such pain and such evil and react to it with the desire to uh, at least make it look better. Um, in some ways, I think that the position that we're talking about here in terms of safe injection sites not being a reasonable way of offering hope arise from the fact that uh, I am looking, and I think Steve is looking too, at, 
addiction as a disease that is potentially treatable and that all the resources that we have should be allocated towards treating people so that they can recover from the disease. Um, for example, uh, we know there's data, and uh, it certainly is not the robust scientific data that we'd like to see, but there's data from the physician health program that says with the kind of monitoring and treatment that physicians get uh, who are addicted to opioids, they have recovery rates similar to any other drug addiction. And at the end of five years, um, their their recovery rate is no different than, than an alcoholic physician, for example. Um, I think resources need to be put into the understanding why this why this is so, why this brings such good results, why do drug courts bring similar results, and really allocate the resources towards dealing with the disease rather than trying to simply put the disease out of sight, out of mind. I think we also have to be, become very, very aware that we don't want to be putting band-aids on things anymore. Band-aids don't work. They don't heal the pathology in medical terms. A Band-Aid is just going to deal with the symptom. It's not, going to, it's not going to deal with the underlying pathology that causes the symptom. A safe injection site is a symptom. They have to go down to the root of it all. And the root of it all is the addiction. Why did the addiction occur? If it occurred because of uh, the illicit use of opioids for pain relief, well, then that has to be addressed. And I think it is in, on a national level. Um, being addressed now. If it's because of recreational drug use, Jeff would know this more than I do, that there are underlying predicates that cause a person to want to do this in the first place. So why are we putting Band-Aids on them? Why are, why are we not looking into the predicates to see why is this person resorting to um, illicit use of drugs and, and try to deal that issue? And, you know, persons like Jeff and, and others uh, the church itself, you know, could look at these predicates and say, okay, well, and how do, how do we heal? You know, how do, how do we deal with this? How do we address this? You know, um, it's just like anything else. You, you, you deal with, you, you deal with the disease and the, and the symptoms go away. You put a bandaid on the disease and the disease still sticks around. Jeff Berger, Steve Boza. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for a very interesting podcast. Thank you. Thank you. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. If you enjoy these podcasts and would like to support them and the National Catholic Bioethics Center, please click the donate button on our website. I'm your host, Joe Zalot. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.